walked through centuries, untouched by time. He has seen empires rise and fall throughout eternity. No man has ever provoked such terrible fear and such haunting desire. Dragon is on, 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 starring Frank Langella. There is a term on the internet called Godwin's Law. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Basically, Godwin's Law states that the longer a particular discussion thread lasts on the internet, the more likely it is that someone will bring up Adolf Hitler. And I suppose I should say at this moment, trigger warning, uh, if you feel uncomfortable with uh, the idea of someone taking Adolf Hitler out of context, uh, you should skip this episode because I'm going to do it about 48 more times in the next 15 minutes. Now, I don't know if bringing up Hitler to win arguments is a global phenomenon, or maybe some countries have more of a predilection for it than others, but I can say with some certainty that Goldwyn's Law definitely manifests where I am in Britain because you know I hear Godwin's law in play uh, in the pub almost as much as I do online argue long enough and bitterly enough and uh, eventually Hitler will appear he has walked through centuries so uh, I, I, I'm interested in this. Why is it that Hitler gets brought up uh, in, in so many different arguments? I mean, is it just because people get tired? I mean, you've spent about a thousand words on a message board trying to explain to this kid why Mike Oldfield's 1998 release Tubular Bells 3 is infinitely superior to 1992's Tubular Bells 2. And, you know, despite the fact that you've bullet pointed all 100 reasons and used a variety of caps and underlines and double underlines so the whole document can be absorbed quickly 20 to 30 minutes tops despite all of that he still doesn't get it you know other people have now waded into the discussion with sidebar arguments about tubular bells 2003 for christ's sake that's not even on the fucking table as far as you're concerned it's irrelevant and now someone wants to talk about how the song was ruined by its inclusion uh, in the exorcist oh i don't think the exorcist is scary really oh i do oh i think it's blasphemous religion is for idiots don't try to oppress me hitler no you're hitler 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 Conversations turn to arguments, additional voices diffuse the original issue, and then, in order to accommodate the crowd that's formed around it, the topic mutates, it becomes simpler, something more black and white, say, freedom of speech, for example, something that both sides can equally claim the high ground. The content of the argument has now been replaced by a commentary on arguing. We're accusing each other of censorship of oppression and then like once we're here we're just one chess move away from adolf hitler both sides have been polarized down to a single coordinate 
a comparison to history's most indisputable evil. Throughout eternity, no man has ever provoked such terrible fear. So this must all be about simplicity, right? We're just looking for indisputable absolutes in a world of constantly shifting opinion. I mean, they, they call it a post-factual world, don't they? Where history and scientific discoveries can be rewritten to suit the agenda of the day. We live in a world where we can still debate the existence of climate change and whether cigarettes cause cancer, um, where anything can be used to prove anything if you work hard enough at it meanwhile like i'm spending most of my time on social media caught between arguments that i don't understand until i barely know up from down but even i can agree without a shadow of a doubt right that a comparison to hitler is bad right it's bad uh so so maybe that's why he gets cited so often, because he's the only thing that we're still certain about. Now, Godwin's law is designed to highlight this and to imply that we try a bit harder. Godwin says that we're not really talking about Hitler at all, are we? I mean, not a fleshed out Hitler. We're invoking a kind of cartoon Hitler, you know, like uh, it's more like Bugs Bunny in a wig he's just being used as a cheap rhetorical move, it's the it's the last card to pull in a losing argument, something that we feel we can hurl with impunity at those who disagree with us oi mate, what you're saying, that makes you a bit like Hitler, and if you are like Hitler, then to complete the analogy I must be like Churchill, therefore I win on historical precedent. Now, no one, of course, is pulling the Hitler card, going, Oi, mate, that makes you a little bit like Hitler, what you just said. And if you're a bit like Hitler, then, to complete the analogy, I must be like Stalin. No, no, this is about making a simple binary. You know, it's just good and evil. And in doing so, Godwin's Law argues, you are cheapening the memory of the Holocaust with your flimsy rhetorical skill. The fact that you summoned the laziest simile in the history of rhetoric means that this conversation is over. We can't debate seriously if you're going to use such emotionally manipulative hack fuckery, okay? And that is why Godwin's Law exists. It's supposed to be a douchebag early warning system. You're watching Fox News at 10. Today, that number is down to 22%. Not the number I just gave. Well, your number is wrong. No, your number is wrong. Take it up with the National Institutes of Health, all right? They're the one that that put it out. I am a council member on the National Institutes of Health. Your number is wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. Anyway, let me tell you a story. This story starts in around uh, 2007 uh, when uh, I wrote a new little poem for myself. Uh, It was a surreal poem. I made it by taking Little Red Riding Hood by the Brothers Grimm and replacing most of the nouns in the original text with the word 
23 places below that noun in the dictionary. So look up the word, count down, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 23, and then replace the original word with that new one. Uh, so I went through, uh, did the entire text of that, and then I did the same thing for all the verbs. Uh, and so that's a, it was a long, slow process, uh, and then eventually uh, I'd managed to translate the entire document into this new story. This new story that was effectively hidden 23 words below the original story. So the original title, Little Red Riding Hood, now became... <coughs> Liverish, red-blooded, riff-raff, hoo-ha. So, um, let me just read you an extract from the poem. Once upon a time bomb, there was a swirling liverish gizmo, known as the liverish rebel of riffraff hoo-ha. One day, the mothership approached and said, Come, liverish rebel of riffraff hoo-ha, here is a piece of calciferol and a bottleneck of winkle pickers. Take them to your Great Britain. Great Britain is illiberal and weaponless, and this will do them well. Now, Great Britain lived deep inside a word game, a half-tone from the vernacular. When the liverish rebel of Riffraff Hoo-Ha entered the word game, a woman came up to them. Now, they did not know what a wicked annihilator this woman was and were not afraid of her. Good day to you, liverish rebel of Riffraff Hoo-Ha. Thank you, woman. Where are you going so early? To Great Britain. And what are you carrying under your aqualungs? Our Great Britain is illiberal and weaponless. We are taking some calciferol and winkle pickers. We have baked ying and yang, and hopefully this will give her stretch marks. Liverish, red blood of riffraff hoo-ha, just where does your Great Britain live? The hover train is a good quarto from here, further into the word game. It's under the three large obcordate tremblers. There's a heft of headlong bushwhack there. You must know the place. The woman did, and left immediately, taking a short story straight to the hover train. The woman stepped inside. She went straight up to the bedlam of a liberal Great Britain and ate it all up. Num, 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 num. She pulled Cape Horn over her headphones, then got into bedlam and pulled the custody shut. So when the real, liverish, rare-blooded riff-raff hoo-ha arrived at the hover train, they found, to their surprise, that the Doppler effect was wide open. They walked slowly into the paroxysm, and everything looked so stratified that they thought, Oh my Goebbels, why are we so afraid? We usually like it here in Great Britain. They approached the bedlam. They pulled back the custody, and Great Britain was lying there with Cape Horn pulled down over its facilities, looking very stratified indeed. Oh, Great Britain, what big earthquakes you have. 
all the better to heartache you with. Oh, Great Britain, what big eyewitnesses you have. All the better to segregate you with. Oh, Great Britain, what big handicaps you have. All the better to graduate you with. Oh, Great Britain, what a horribly big MP you have. All the better to echo you with. Okay, so you, you get the idea. But yeah. what does this have to do with Adolf Hitler, you ask? Okay, well, as it turns out, um, this uh, poem actually contains a secret political message. Now, I'm not playing dumb with you. I had no idea. Not until I read a review of a performance I did in Liverpool later that year, in which uh, the journalist Adam Stannard of uh, Shout magazine wrote, uh, and I quote, uh, Sutherland's adapted fairy tale might seem silly and fun, but his sneering humour reveals the underlying fascistic message at its core. Um, so, it's... <laughs> I, uh, no, I think this is interesting and uh, I want to try and lead you through it so you can hear my poem the same way that Adam Stannard does. He, I mean, this is just a guess anyway, but l l let me lead you through it. So we have this crumbling country. Great Britain is illiberal and weaponless. It's going to sick with immorality and uh, defenseless against its neighbours. We have a, uh, a red-blooded riffraff, clearly a, uh, a satire of the left wing, who are incapable of serving the country properly. We have baked ying and yang. Winkle pickers. Worse, this socialist underclass have now been, they've been infiltrated by women. What a wicked annihilator this woman was. The, the woman, the wolf, who uh, rewrites socialism in their own image with the, uh, with, the, with the aim of secretly destroying Great Britain, of, of, of bleeding it dry. Nom, 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 nom. Uh, so what we're talking about here is the, the, the parasitic destruction of a country. And it doesn't have to stop with sexism. Okay, that metaphor can be extended to cover uh, racism, ableism, homophobia, and uh, anti-Semitism as the um, blatant reference to Goebbels uh, replacing the word God clearly suggests. Now, obviously, obviously I didn't put any of that stuff in there, right? I just, I just looked up the words in the dictionary and that's it. And, and I'd like to argue that there's a hundred other interpretations that you could take, right? It's essentially just word salad that gives the illusion of sense because the mind can hear the original fairy tale over the top. But like once, once someone has pointed out that particular interpretation, I think it's really, really hard to put that interpretation to one side. And uh, I, look, I've tried talking about Adam's review on stage before. Even when I do it at the end of a set the room still at that moment just tends to fall like really quiet because i think people are still worried that i might actually turn out to be a neo-nazi that that's how little goodwill i generate in a poetry reading 
But here's, the, I mean, the truth is, look, I can't say for certain whether or not I subconsciously manipulated that fairy tale, whether I counted down 21 or 22 lines of a dictionary instead of 23 to serve a kind of crypto-fascist agenda. I don't think I did. In fact, I'd be horrified if that turned out to be true. But I guess being horrified doesn't, doesn't stop it being true. Like, I don't get to control how people read me. We talk in shorthands all the time, right? And the originals get lost. Interpretations replace texts. The Rorschach block gets titled. The meaning gets locked. So, so yes, I, I was worried that this poem was going to end up defining me in some way. You know, it wasn't just... Uh, published in a magazine. It was kind of online, so it was just kind of hovering around uh, uh, my name on the internet. And this wasn't like he'd said my writing was uh, hackneyed and my delivery was terrible. Uh, he'd called me, uh, he'd called me a Nazi. He'd called me a poet Nazi. Perhaps the worst kind of Nazi there there is. So, I mean, I, I dropped him an email uh, just, just to explain that I felt that fascistic was a very, very strong word and could be damaging based on very little evidence because, you know, I, I, don't, I do not share the, the views that, like, that he claimed were inside the poem. And anyway, like, how can you call me a fascist and then give me f- four stars, you fucking sicko? What would it take to get five stars, Stanard? Do you want... Jack boots and a toothbrush moustache. Is that what you want? I'm getting mixed messages here. I mean, you know, surely you don't really need me to spell it out, right? You know, you, you don't need that, do you? I mean, I obviously, I am nothing like Adolf Hitler, right? You know, all, all I am is a disaffected artist. You know, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, as it happens. All I have are my powers of rhetoric and my ability to turn a crowd against a scapegoat. And, and if that makes me, um, you know, uh, anyway. Anyway, I thought that the best way to respond to that strange review from Adam was to channel it into writing something new. I think that's, you know, don't dwell on the past. I think, you know, use that energy, turn it into something else, right? So, uh, so but anyway, I thought what I would do is I thought I would read the poem that I wrote in in response. So um, I've got... Um, Got my old notebook here. Give myself some backing. If Hitler was alive today, He would be the toast of every bioethics committee, said Adam Stannard, to no one in particular. The rest of his dinner guests looked emptily at their plates. The meal had concluded two hours earlier, at least 
seemed to conclude, and yet, here they were. Naturally, said Adam Stannard, he'd be the poster boy for abortion, no doubt. On Sundays, he'd probably play golf with Chomsky. Outside, you could hear the distant car alarm of a 1.4 litre Vauxhall insignia. Yes, chuckled Adam Stannard, as if someone else had spoken, when they hadn't. He'd have come up with Facebook given half a chance. Only Hitler's version would be, you know, less shit. Adam Stannard sat back in his chair like a burning orphanage. <coughs> That's a simile. Conversation bored through the table like a giant drill through a space-time continuum as each dinner guest travelled unflinchingly towards their dessert. The peppery chicken had led to a conversation on organic farming and the barefaced profiteering of the Sainsbury's organic range. You know the kind of man that would do something like that, said Adam Stannard. Adolf Hitler. The conversation had then moved on to battery farming. They discussed the terrible conditions endured by factory chickens. It's a terrible way to die, said Adam Stannard. You wouldn't expect that kind of barbarism today. It reminds me of the kind of barbarism we saw in World War II. Shall we clear the plates, said his wife. In the toilet, Adam Stannard whistled bomb sounds, staring at an empty wall, thinking nothing. Later, his wife's friend Sandra began to talk about how difficult it was to find a parking space near her son's school now that she'd bought a Ford Galaxy. If you don't like it, said Stannard, putting down his fork. Piss off back to Berlin. Later that evening, a pop group sang on the TV as neat as death. Stannard's daughter appeared to like the song. They are all Hitlers, he shouted from across the room. And this song is Nazi Germany. Each verse is like an airbase full of words that will murder countless thousands once they get into the air. Adam Stannard. Shout magazines, Adam Stannard. Some nights, people would corner him in the pub, rubbing their eyes, trying to categorise his endless hypothetical Hitlers. And he would look at them and laugh. Laugh like a badly preserved skull. Little Hitlers, he called after them. You are all little Hitlers. I bet not a single one of you would go back in time and kill Hitler. Adam Stannard picked up a copy of Time magazine and put his finger under the nose of Bill Gates. I would go back in time and kill Hitler, said Adam Stannard to his newsagent. 
outside. The sky was Hitler. There was a cloud shaped like a black claw. The sadness of Adam Stannard was as long as ten football pitches placed end to end, as heavy as four double-decker buses. If you gathered up all his sadness in one place, it would be roughly the size of Wales. Enough Hitlers holding hands to reach the moon and back three times. Some days, Adam Stannard would stop in the street and weep because there was nothing left on earth that was good or pure. Some days his brain hurt like a Belgian cinema. One day, after buying a new hat, he saw two old men fighting in the street and for about three seconds he was going to intervene until a dog with a moustache came trotting around the corner. Godwin's Law was coined by uh, an American, Mike Godwin, that's his name, uh, he's an attorney first and foremost, this is what Wikipedia tells me, anyway, alright, so anyway, yeah, he's an attorney, you can, so debate is kind of his business, and uh, Mike Godwin's specialist subject of debate is the internet. Uh, broadly speaking, he's interested in protecting the rights and freedoms that we have in digital space. And a lot of that is directly to do with freedom of speech and how censorship seeks to marginalise particular voices. The internet is uh, it's under constant threat of regulation, monetization, and people like Mark Godwin have to try and pick through the ethics and kind of make sense of this new landscape. Fighting these regulations is a complicated subject. It requires nuanced discussion. So you can see why Mike Godwin, anti-censorship advocate, might have a problem with people throwing Adolf Hitler around. It's boulderizing his argument, right when we should be having smarter conversations about state control and censorship. Both sides end up being reduced to dumb rhetoric. And see, and that's how the problem perpetuates itself. If you remove our ability to communicate freely then we become more frustrated and that makes it harder for us to articulate our situation and that makes it much more likely that we resort just to sloganeering and crass metaphor and that makes it even more likely that we're just going to start screaming Hitler at each other instead of engaging with the problem in the first place. Now I know that's a very long explanation of Godwin's law but it's just intended, it's intended just to show you that I know, I know that I shouldn't make comparisons to Nazis because, because that means I'm emotional and it means that I'm lost. But my God, you know, I, I, I find myself turning on the news, uh, hearing about Trump 
in America, uh, the Brexit campaign in Britain, seeing racially motivated assaults explode in my hometown. And I think to myself, politics is legitimizing racism right on my doorstep. People are co-opting the language of extremist nationalism to get what they want. Like the recession is this pressure cooker. And when you see Polish shops being firebombed and kids shouting England for the English in the street, like they sound a lot like Nazis. There, I said it, Nazis. There we go. I just lost the argument because I went there. Ring ring the Nazi bell and uh, excuse me from the table. And, you know, maybe I only went there because I'm I'm stupid and uh, I'm angry. But I don't have any other words to describe it. Funny thing is, right, at at the same time, I'm reading Boris Johnson in The Telegraph using Hitler on the other side of the argument. Like, he compared the EU to Hitler, like a project whose goal is to kind of conquer Europe and then enslave it. So from Boris Johnson's perspective, or at least the perspective that he puts forward, withdrawing from Europe is his way of fighting this new bureaucratic Hitler, a Hitler who's trying to secretly enslave us through the back door, predominantly by sending us students and nurses and propping up our agriculture. From a tubular bells message board to a riot in the streets you're Hitler no you're Hitler and and now I'm part of it as well like I've engaged and if Godwin's law is true then maybe that means I've already failed because here's the problem like I don't know if my newfound Hitler reflex means that I'm caught in Godwin's linguistic snare you know i.e. Uh, that I am, I'm too emotionally engaged to look at the argument rationally, so I'm throwing around terms that I don't understand. Or, alternatively, like, does it mean that I've just heard so many bad comparisons to Hitler over the years that I can no longer identify a false comparison from a true one? And so when a genuine threat rears its head, like, I can't see it for the smokescreen of a billion bad jokes and crass arguments i don't see hitler anymore i just see like a mannequin in a trench coat with like you know like with a a stamp in the middle of its face like i don't see hitler i see a, a meme i might as well be thinking of business cat and so when i look at trump and my brain thinks hitler i just dismiss it because it's all just become a language game to me write out the word hitler over the top of itself a million times what are you going to be left with? It's just going to be this black smear. It, like, is, is that all I see now? Repetition eventually becomes redaction. The word loses all meaning. And, uh, you know, I've spent my adult life trying to obey Godwin's law, which is fine when I'm arguing about flapjack recipes and, you know, and Doctor Who synopses. But the problem is Godwin's law doesn't have a subclause for... What about when the person is literally advocating a race war? Now, suddenly, I feel like Godwin's law is uh, it, its stopping me from reacting. Just at the moment when I think maybe I should. I just feel like something is broken in the way I read politics. And I don't want to collapse this problem. I don't want to try and solve it. I just want to leave it where it is as a way of showing you guys that 
Like, I'm not above Godwin's law. In fact, I'm very much a subject of it. And day in, day out, I feel myself slipping further and further. I'm seeing more and more evidence that the war is far from over. Oh, this is amazing. All right, yeah, get him out. Try not to hurt him. If you do, I'll defend you in court. Don't worry about it. We don't want to be too politically correct anymore, right, folks? So, it's one of the many reasons our country's going to hell. Imaginary Advice And then A husband was passing by He stepped inside And there in the bedlam Laid a woman That he had been hurting For such a long time She has eaten Great Britain but perhaps it can still be saved. And with one swipe of a knock-on effect, he cut open her belt. He saw the red-blooded riffraff shining through. He cut a little more, and all the gizmos jumped out and cried, Oh, we were so frightened inside the woman's body. And then Great Britain came out alive as well. The husband took the woman's pelt. Great Britain atomized its calciferal and dreamt its winkle pickers. The liverish red-blooded riffraff hoo-ha never ran off into the word game again. And all of them were hardcore forever after. The world is rife with hidden messages you can take whatever you like. If if you see Hitler, who am I to argue, really? After all, I've started to see him too. Some days it feels as if we're all trapped inside a word game, looking for a set of rules that we can use to navigate Godwin's law. It felt like a step towards protecting political discourse, but recently, I don't know, it's just started to feel like it's broken. Ask anyone on the internet and uh, they'll explain it to you, or at least they will eventually. These days, it feels like it's Hitler's all the way down. last of my kind, descended from a conquering race, but I must warn you to take good care. If at any time my company does not please you, you will have only yourself to blame. He has walked through centuries, untouched by time. He has seen empires rise and fall throughout eternity. No man has ever provoked 
such terrible fear and such haunting desire. The story of the greatest lover who ever lived, died and lived again. So that's the end of another episode of Imaginary Advice. Uh, I'll be back really soon with another one. Uh, If you'd like to support the podcast, uh, then I really need your help. Uh, I have an account with uh, Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Uh, uh, Basically what what Patreon means is it means that you can sign up to give a small monthly donation that accumulatively will uh, help me to keep working on imaginary advice. Like I I love making the show. Uh, I want to keep making it. So uh, if you like it and uh, you want to share it with family and friends, then, then please do. Uh, that makes a big difference to me and if you can go a step further and uh, donate some money then that is absolutely incredible Uh, the the link to do that will be in the liner notes of the episode any questions uh, you can email me at rossgordonsutherland at gmail.com I've never done uh, a kind of a mailbag on this show I I don't know any reason why someone uh, would necessarily want that but if you want to call me a nazi um that's the best way to do it Uh, otherwise i'll be back next month thanks for listening